0: This is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, new ideas, new science, and sometimes even a little bit of glimpse into the future. Today, I'm here with one of my personal favorite Portfolio company CEOs Christian Brucalier of uh, Snaps.
1: Great to be here. Thanks sure. for having me.
0: So we were just talking about what's going on in the business, and we'll get to that. And I'd love for you to sort of walk folks through yeah, sure. Snaps one on one. But then I want to roll back tape to sure. when we first met, when you first got here, and, oh, yeah. and maybe talk a little it's been, bit about it's been years. Yeah, yeah years yeah, yeah. and yeah. the long, strange trip. Because we say to companies a lot that where you wind up and where you started and this is all about change and this company i think is particularly notable
1: uh for change uh, of, of change because you've been through a lot of it Change changes a service yeah i think is our <laughs> we're, we're inventing a new category there you yeah. go the company's gone through a lot of change and then we've gone through a decent amount of change while i've been here certainly have been yeah operating this business longer than i expected when i joined i don't know i always. Equate startups uh, to surfing. You know, you sort of paddle out, and you don't really know. Like you get in the wave, and sometimes it's a long wave, sometimes it's a short wave, sometimes there's no surf. If you grow up on Long Island like I did, and, um, sometimes it's great all the time. And, uh, you know, I think markets tend to be a real big driving force in the outcomes for businesses. Like I've been a part of unbelievable products and unbelievable businesses, and horrible businesses, and and they seem almost uncoupled with management. <laughs> like it's, it's usually the market. So why don't we start with what? snaps
0: is before we get into what snaps was yeah
1: great so snaps is the leading conversational ai platform for global consumer brands so we work with some awesome consumer businesses like uber and bmw and live nation and michael kors and airbnb and we help them automate uh, consumer engagement, and so we, you know, we build chatbots for them that work on their websites. We deploy marketing automation solutions and acquisition solutions in places like Facebook Messenger. We support them in, you know, ongoing customer experience in places like uh, SMS. And so, you know, our vision is to help businesses build the best conversational experiences in market, uh, make them available in any. Channel that a consumer may engage where you can open up a conversational thread. And so, places like WhatsApp or SMS or a website or uh, even a mobile app. Um, and we really focus on global businesses that have a high degree of complexity. So, are they operating in multiple markets? Do they have multiple products? Um, and we've really built our solution in and around the needs of, of, of the core enterprise uh, and what they want to do in and around conversational AI.
0: Do you view what you just described as? Is- advertising as an extension of advertising as a successor to advertising as a better way to engage sure. people who matter to you than advertising or what
1: i think so i think 30 percent of our customers are advertisers they're looking to acquire new new customers. And so they're looking at places like uh, yeah, the social ecosystem like Instagram or Facebook and or Messenger, and they're wondering how they can acquire some of that audience and make them new customers, how they can generate leads. Um, but the other 70% is really much more around social media care. So social care, you know, contact center care, uh, customer experience automation. So like post-purchase automation. So like getting a receipt, getting shipping notifications, being able to automate a return or an exchange and also commerce. So uh, just literally shopping and making purchases. So people who have intent, like us basically shorten the distance between their intent and, and an action, like them actually making a purchase. So, And
0: doing what you do, is this a platform now that here, company uh, X, Yeah, uh, you yeah. take it. And we'll help you figure it out now. Go build yourself some bots and take advantage of this. Or is it you doing it for them? Or is it a mix?
1: Yeah, so I'd say a third of our customers are just using our software. Uh, Some people have resources to use our tooling, but they need some help in understanding how, like what good looks like. Um, And so they're looking for some managed services, but not... You know, they don't want us to be responsible for all their outcomes. And then we've got some customers that, um, yeah, they're they're really just thinking about buying an experience and buying an outcome. And, and that's what they're kind of focused on. If you had your druthers,
0: which way would it be? Would it be all you're selling software to people and letting them do all the work? Or would it be?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't find managed services to be like a scary word. Like, I actually think it, I think I'm a little against the grain on this. Like, I think managed services are great. They can be very good businesses. They're extremely high margin. They, you know. They don't have the scalability of just core software, but they're also a, a massive differentiator. And frankly, like we are principled around being customer focused. And so we really want to help our brands build the best experiences that that can be brought to market. And sometimes that means we're, we we want to do it. <laughs> you know, most of our customers don't have conversational designers on staff. And so they might have the engineering talent to do it. They might have knowledge workers who can do a lot of what what what. Uh, what our software enables, but they don't have the skills yet a lot of these organizations and that's again you know, just sort of where we are in the
0: market conversational designer how do you find a conversational designer? Do you go down to n y u and say, "Give me the kids in
1: the conversational <laughs> design degree program I but mean funny enough, one of them we hired from a, a general assembly panel that we did on natural language processing, so you know one of the one of the people in the audience was you know they this is all they wanted to do. And I think when we started to, uh, when we started in this space, there, were, there was no such thing as a conversational designer, right? We had copywriters and then we had application developers, we had project managers. I mean, this is a role that we spent years trying to figure out like exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, we've gotten better at it now. It's a little bit of a secret sauce for us on certain of the skills, but like generally we want people that you know really understand how to tie data together. They've got a passion for end-user experiences, so so UX design is probably the closest proximate practice that we've seen like work for. They translate the easiest. like People who have been in UX, not UI, but UX, tend to be pretty good at conversational design. You weren't the founder.
0: No. You met the founder, and this wasn't what it was doing, so let's go all the way back.
1: So the company was founded in 2011 as an augmented reality platform called Gold Run. And so Gold Run was like a, You know, it was sort of like Pokemon Go, like way ahead of its time. You know, Vivian's vision, Vivian Rosenthal, her vision, um, the founder of the company was that geospace would intersect with advertising, right? And so at some point you might go through Washington Square Park and an augmented reality event would cross your eyes right and at the time it was like a mobile device so like they had an app called gold run and if you walk through washington square park you got a push notification and you could open it up and a big shoe from nike would drop down and dance around and that was sort of the idea and it was just way ahead it was a great demo yeah, it's like, oh you guys saw that demo. Yeah, right. That's what that was the original investment was like this is going to yeah, be great.
0: That's when we first came in.
1: You were not alone in thinking that that was a great demo, so they raised, you know, a good amount of seed money and they raised some subsequent rounds. When I joined, well when I met with Vivian, they had sort of p- paired that back to a consumer facing app that let you take pictures and you could put stickers on it, right? So they had the, it's this sort of channels idea that you could put different stickers on your photo and it was sort of like AR but it was I don't know, it's photos and stickers. One of the things that I learned over the course of my career is that every time there's a new medium where consumers are engaging at scale, businesses tend to need new partners and a technology solutions to help them plug in. And so I was looking for opportunities to create a new business center on that. When I met Vivian, they don't really have anything with their current product, but um, I had a thesis that messaging apps were going to be an, a, a new and big deal. For advertisers, and Vivian had a lot of connections uh, in and around the advertising world. She'd kind of been in the space for a long time, and a lot of energy. And so, we looked at the messaging app space and thought, "This is going to be the next area." Like, we don't really know what the product's going to look like. And I think on that thesis, for the last five years that I've been here, we've been pretty consistent about it. And when I first joined, the you know Apple had built the uh, keyboard endpoint for third-party application developers, and so you know Vivian came in one day and said, "Well, why don't we just make the the." the sticker app, a keyboard. And I said, well, why don't we just make it? Why don't we make a, a platform so let brands make their own? Um, and we figured we'd just sell a couple, get a little data, like figure out like what else we could do in the messaging space. That so was kind of like product one. And I thought this is like a totally dumb thing, but like I, you know, we had some friends and I had a friend at Comedy Central and it was just this fun campaign thing. We did one for Broad City and I think they got, 200,000 people to use it in four weeks, and they sent like five million stickers and they did a ton of press and one quarter later, I think we had licensed out, I think a million dollars in licensing, um, in in customers coming and licensing our product to to get keyboards. It was like our second quarter in market. I mean, it just like exploded. I remember writing to the board when we did our first one, I said, this is never, ever going to scale. And uh, the, and the, the advice I got was like, well, just you know, keep selling some, and you'll figure out what the next thing is. And describe why your immediate reaction was this will never scale. Why did you feel that? Just it had massive trend risk. Like, I mean, it was like clearly like something that was going to be interesting this year and not interesting the next year. And I think the bigger thing is like. It's, it was really difficult to tie to business value. Like you could tie it to awareness and we would tie it a little to purchase intent. But one of the big problems was like, like advertisers and if you understand advertisers, like they really want to be able to put a slide of what they bought in a deck and share it with other people. Right. And, and one of the challenging things was like they could get press on these things, but you couldn't actually see consumers sharing this content. It all happened in what we would call dark social at the time. So like, You know, we would go back to a brand like a L'Oreal and we would say like, you know, 10 million people shared your stickers. But it was like a tree falling in the woods. Like nobody saw it. Nobody tweeted about it. Like it just happened in this dark area. And so while there was a ton of volume around it, it didn't match very well. Like we we didn't have product market fit with like what typical advertisers want to see, which are like YouTube video views or like Instagram likes. You know, they just want to see things that are more public. And I think that's been a huge problem for like messaging focused advertising for a while. That's not performance based, if it's like awareness based. And then in 2016, Facebook Messenger came along and they said, well, we're going to make bots. And I thought, oh, like if emoji keyboards are a bad advertising product, I don't think we could do much worse than a chat bot. Like this is like not viral, it's not visible, it doesn't, it's not like a video view. Like it was just a, it was a challenging moment for us as a business because we knew that when Facebook did that, all of our customers were going to start to ask us what we're doing in Facebook Messenger. We just decided again, coming back to being customer centric, like okay, like we'll just get better at that. And so we built the f- one of the first chatbot platforms out in market in 2016, and we we're mostly focused on kind of advertisers and marketers, um, and that's what got us to kind of conversational AI. And now, like I think we've we've been on a journey, and and we've got what I would consider be the best product that we've ever had and the best business that we've ever had. And we're delivering the most value for our customers that we ever had. So you're confident that this is the business as opposed to oh, the yeah, business we'll, that's going to
0: get you to the next business.
1: No, we'll die on this hill for sure. Yeah, it's a huge market and we're delivering tremendous value for our customers and we're seeing all the right metrics now, right? Like just growth and investment, net negative churn, like our great NPS scores. We just like our customers really like us and uh, and the space just continues to grow. And we're starting to see just great signs like our customers are starting to build conversational teams, you know, internally, like they're looking for software solutions. We had. Yeah, we've we've had more of our customers use our software this year than ever before. And so, yeah, we're just in the beginning of the deployment phase. So everything's just great and you don't have a worry in the world. Huh? <laughs> the, you know, I think this space in general got overcrowded uh, really, really quickly. Like a lot of people saw the paradigm shift. And I think the way that we came in for the market from the advertising side was really challenging for us, right? Like we were in sort of the, what I would call kind of the wrong budgets. Like we had to figure out a way to get like deeper into these budgets. We had to get into enterprise software sales and out of, you know, ad tech sale. It just, the whole, we basically have like cycled the entire company over, um, just in terms of like what we do and how we do it. Um, over the last couple of years and that that was really, really hard. And we're not done with the hard, but we are done with the hardest part, I think, which is finding a product that delivers value to your customers. One of the challenges for you now is you want to put it
0: one way, sort of investor fatigue, not fatigue with you as a company, but with the sort of the whole, messaging, marketing, advertising, sure, yeah. there's so yeah. many bright, shiny objects out there to attract venture money. And there's so many great big deals that too many funds are throwing too much money at. Yeah. It can be a challenge.
1: Yeah. No, we're less, we're less cool yeah. than we were when we were slinging emojis, you know, which is interesting because, uh, yeah, the, the you know, the market's not always rational and they don't always look at, unit economics, they don't always look at, like, some of the metrics that you'd want people to look at to kind of see the growth. I think someone, I was meeting with someone in the space uh, about six months ago, and they're like, yeah, like, most of the tourists have moved on to crypto. And so I thought that was kind of, that was kind of true. (laughs) Um, So we've seen some of that. And I think the, but the interesting thing about our space is, like, you you think about the trough of despair and the technology adoption, like, it's like, it's, I've never ridden the curve all the way around, (laughs) and now like we're actually deploying enterprise level solutions that are driving seven figure outcomes for our customers. It's like it's like there now, and like the NLP is amazing now. Like it works. Our NLP precision for our customers is like ninety four percent, which means like nine point four out of ten times you type something to one of our bots it understands what you're tr- what you're looking for. Which when we started, it was like, I mean, the industry-wide, it must have been 20%. I mean, the, the technology has come so far that this is no longer a question of if. And now it's not even really a question of when. Um, it's a little bit of a question of like how it gets deployed and where value accrues in the space. Um, but that's not always, yeah. Like I think venture is usually making bets on markets that are even earlier than this. You wrote somewhere at some point that
0: i read you know venture investors fundamentally different from public equity investors. yes right and, yeah, yeah 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 and yeah. and it's really true and and uh, you know one of the things i did back when i was a journalist was work with Sir john templeton on his uh, autobiography and stuff so i got some of that up close and personal and it's really true though in public markets in uh, markets where all the information is out there for everybody to see it has to be true you have to believe that rationality will take hold if everybody's doing one thing they're all trying to get into the same bar and yeah. you're showing up your odds of getting into that bar are zero right, right. that's right you are compelled to do something else yeah. even if that's the one and only bar that has the magical elixir in it you got to go somewhere else you may have to drink three times as much to get just as drunk but that's just the way it is yep. and rationality pushes folks out and all different kinds of methodologies get tried and yeah. everybody i'm doing the opposite of what you're doing because of the way I'm analyzing. And what we've seen these last few years, even more than the last few years in venture, is I'm going to bid this one company up because it has these characteristics I love. And the other fund shows and says, I'm going to bid this company up. And the third fund shows and says, I'm going to bid this company up. And the fourth fund doesn't go, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're all bidding that company up, which is counter to their interest, therefore I should go (laughs) do something else. (laughs) The fourth fund is going, I'm gonna go bid that company up. Yeah, yeah, And they do, and then you get companies with exceedingly inflated valuations, and then you've got companies who uh, are compelled to uh, support those valuations, and you have funds that are compelled to keep putting money into those companies so that the valuation doesn't go down, and the whole thing becomes, a nearly insane uh cycle of irrational behavior yeah irrational exuberance if you want to call it yes and what that means is there's less money for everything else that's right and um we've railed against that where you try and be very rational and look at what's in front of us and react to it and recognize if everybody's going right there must be an opportunity left and we've been preaching the gospel of uh, just the thought, uh, wanna try and make some money. Yeah, it's a, yeah. one dollar more in than yeah. out isn't actually a terrible thing. Yeah. Uh, growth is great, but endurance is uh, uh, not something to be uh, scoffed at
1: either. Yeah, and just to double down, I think a lot of the conversations in around growth, like don't take any, um, for the last couple of years, haven't also gotten to the second question of how that growth is actually funded. Right, like, like if there's actually a sustainable business underneath this, at some point, I'm a capital-efficient operator in a in a momentum world, baby. <laughs> like, I just am not, you know, I am not made for this cycle. Um, you know, we we've grown very capital-efficiently. We're big believers in unit economics. Um, we think that that drives value long-term. And uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not that flavor right now out in the market, for sure.
0: It's not that flavor everywhere. And we were talking about how that may impact your strategy next. You're going to have to be a little creative and maybe think about not the next normal VC down the street as a a funding partner or all kinds of different things. Uh, Again, there's nothing wrong with getting the money you need to sustain the business from the market or from all kinds of different sources that may be helpful to you. Yeah. Yeah good luck with the next phase. Congratulations for getting here. Thanks for coming here. Oh, it's my, uh, my pleasure. Thanks much. And we'll talk soon.
1: Thanks, Mike. Sure
0: thing.